continue our series on the nature of God. And uh, we talked last week about his nature uh, through the things that he hates and things that he loves. And this week we're going to talk about by what actions he takes, the nature of God through the actions that he takes. And he has done some great things. Of course, Jesus gave his life. But we're going to go back further and deeper into all the things that God has done to make his love and his nature plain to us. Amen. And I call this the the highest law because it's something about God's nature that even he cannot change. Psalms 19 verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. There is something so unique and special about God and his attributes. And in fact, in previous lessons, we've touched on a few of them, but there are so many. I'm just going to put up there a list of some of the attributes that belong to God. And you can see there that there that he is transcendent, meaning he's above everything. Imminence, that means he is always around if he wants to be. I'm not going to read everyone. Omnipresent, eternal, immutability means unchanging, glory, beauty, blessedness, and so on. And these can be grouped into various categories, but we're going to just uh, focus tonight on just a few of the well-known attributes of, of God that are stated in Scripture. And I want to point out something about them Uh, on how that makes his nature act. As I said last week, we looked at his um, nature through the things he loves and the things he hates. But of course, the parts of his nature that are immutable, that means do not change, is that the Bible tells us above all things that God is love. And of course, he is immortal, eternal. He did not have a beginning. He is uncaused. He didn't have something before God. He always was and always will be. Transcendent, that means he's above and independent of his creation. That means he, he is outside of his creation uh, if he wants to be. He's immutable of nature. I mean, the Bible says his basic attributes, his immutable attributes do not change. Of course, he's all-powerful, omnipotent, all-knowing, omniscient, everywhere he wants to be, omnipresent. And of course, the Bible makes it plain, he is perfectly just. We just read Psalms 19. And of course, too, Hebrews tells us that he is always truthful. And there is only one true God. There is not many gods. There's only one supreme creator being. Now, those attributes can be divided up to into two categories is what I'm going to show tonight because the the categories help us understand God's nature. So I'm going to call these the attributes of his nature. That is things that God cannot change because they're a part of him. It's like, could you change your head? No, you could not change your head because they're a part of your nature. So God cannot change the fact that his nature is love. He cannot change the fact that his basic character is perfection. He cannot change that he is truthful or keeps his word. 
He cannot change that he is merciful or that he is all-wise and that he can only create perfection. The Bible tells us that, that even Satan was created in perfection. Now, the, some attributes are related to his dominion or power. And these are things that God can change or share. For instance, he, his power he can share. The Bible says that we, we, we have been given dominion, so he has the ability to share his omnipotence. He has the ability to share wisdom or to change his level of knowing. And, of course, he has the ability to not be omnipresent. And we're going to look at that. And some of this may seem strange, but we're going to look at this from a biblical perspective. So I'm dividing up the attributes of God into two categories. The attributes of his nature, which are things he cannot change, and the attributes of power or dominion, which go to the rulership of the universe, which God can change or share. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 17 says, wherein God willingly more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. So those things that I said were unchangeable are vested in the very makeup of God. They are absolute attributes. They're always there. They can never be changed. The ones that I've listed before that God is love, perfectly just, truthful, keeps his word merciful, all wise, only creates perfection. I'm so glad that God is always truthful, that we can depend upon his word, that he is perfectly just, and of course that he is merciful. That's what Hebrews 6.17 is telling us, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. But there are some things that God can share and change with us. Amen? So I call these things that don't change and the attributes of his nature, we can liken to the Constitution, which is the highest law of the land. Everything that comes after the Constitution has to be in alignment with the Constitution. So we can use God's nature to align things that we don't understand to match up with his nature. The scripture tells us that one of the things that cannot change, of course, is that he cannot lie. Hebrews 6.18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we may have a strong consolation. That means his word is not going to change. If he says that he's coming back to save us, he is coming back to save us. If he has said that we can be saved and we can be delivered and we can be made whole, then we can be made whole. So we can call the attributes of his nature the highest law because that's what God basically is. God is truth. God is love. Those things are not going to change. The attributes of his basic nature are unchanging. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, the Bible tells us that. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, his sons of Jacob are not consumed. Why? Because of his mercy and of his grace. Hebrews 13, 8 applies that now to Jesus Christ. The same yesterday and today and forever. God's moral nature cannot change. That's how we we can come to him and know that he is going to be merciful, that he is going to be gracious. But the the beauty of this is when we come across difficult scripture passages, we can always interpret it if we understand his nature, if we understand his character. 
Because where it says in Isaiah that I create evil and I create the darkness, we can understand that it does not mean evil in the sense of Satan. But if you look into the, to the actual Hebrew, it's saying adversity. It's translated in the King James evil, but it actually, the Hebrew word means adversity. And by using the fact that God is perfect, that in him is no variableness, there's no, there's no darkness, we would know already that that translation of evil doesn't mean the way that the King James has translated it. So we can use the constitution of God's nature when we come across passages that we don't understand. We can use the revelation of Jesus Christ to interpret the basic nature of the Spirit. Jesus reveals, in other words, the true image and nature of God that can be manifested in a bodily form. He is the only image of God that can be manifested in a bodily form. And that's what Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 tells us. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So all we can see physically of God is Jesus. Amen. So those scriptures go to the attributes of his nature. But there are attributes or characteristics of his power which God can change or God can share. And he has, in his love and mercy and in his actions, decided to share some of those with us. So let's look at that. These are called contingent attributes. That means they are, they are at his will. He can choose whether or not he shares some of his power with us. They're, it's dependent on God's will. And he can decide how much of each we, we can share or we can be, uh, or he can um, manifest. So what does this mean? Well, let's look in the Old Testament to an actual scripture where God shows us his plan to share his dominion. In Psalms 115 and verse 16, it says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. What does that mean? That scripture, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. What it means is that God decided to limit some of his dominion, limit some of his attribute of power. It means he gave rulership, dominion, and reign on earth to man. In that little box there, I, I show you what the Hebrew for dominion is, radah. And that's what it means. It means rulership. Reign. For that to be true, this means that God had to have given some of his power to mankind. So these are the attributes of his manifested power, his omnipotence, his omniscience, and his omnipresence, mean he's everywhere. These are the three attributes of rulership of the universe. And for us to have dominion, he had to limit each of these three attributes. God chose, in other words, because he loved us, this is one of his actions, this is what goes to his nature, God chose subtraction of rulership of the earth from his dominion. Isn't that amazing that God loves us? Again, it goes back to John 3.16, because love is all about giving. Lust is all about taking. God chose to give dominion of the earth and everything upon the earth to his first son, Adam and Eve. He chose to give dominion. In Genesis 1.28, it says, And God blessed them. God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion 
over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. As I've pointed out before, that meant if Satan was on the earth, we had dominion. If there were any fallen beings on the earth at that time, we had dominion because it gave full rulership and authority over everything that was upon the earth. So this is an example of one of those three attributes of God, his his power where he limited himself to give mankind dominion. We see also God limiting the other attribute of of knowing everything, of omniscience. Let's look at that. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, it says, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. Now, that scripture would make no sense if God already knew what he would call them. But in order to show that he had truly given dominion to man, he limited his omniscience. He limited his, if you want to call it, his mind-reading ability so as that whatever Adam chose was a freely chosen name. And that's why he had to bring them to Adam to see what he would call them. When he created mankind, God gave up dominion of certain things in order that we could be free creatures. And that's why it shows very clearly here that he limited his omniscience to see what Adam would call them. Now, some people will say that that God knew what Adam was going to call them anyway. Uh, My problem with that interpretation is whatever God knows cannot be changed. So that would mean that Adam really never had a free choice. But as you can see clearly from Scripture He brought them to Adam to see, to find out, in other words, what Adam would call them. If he already knew, there would be no point in even this story. This is not the first time, though, we see God limiting himself in order to give mankind choice. After his creation, that's what he did. We see this clearly in Genesis 11 when man had started to rebel and they had built the Tower of Babel. And we see the angels had brought back news of how terrible and sinful mankind was getting again after the flood. Look at what it says in Genesis 11.5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. Now, if God had not limited his omnipresence, there would be no coming down because he would be already there. But the point I'm making is that this is one of the attributes that God limited of himself by his actions, which reveals his nature. He loved us so much that he limited not only his omnipotence, he limited his omniscience, and then he limited his omnipresence in order that we could be free creatures, and we'll see later the reason why. But it clearly shows here that the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And if you read the whole chapter, the context is that the angels brought back the message. And he says, I'm going to go down now and see if this is really true. Again, we see the example with testing Abraham. God, if he hadn't limited his foreknowledge, would have already known what Abraham would do. But because he had limited his foreknowledge... 
He tested Abraham. This is why we go through tests, in fact, is because God does not read our minds. He wants to see our free choice. Let's read the story. In Genesis 22, verse 10, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called out from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand unto the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. From me. So we see here another case where God did not use his foreknowledge to be absolutely sure what Abraham would do in order that his choice was free. This is what God has done in order that we have free choices. In fact, in um, Hebrews 2, 6, it explains this, how Jesus himself limited his own power. When he was asked in, in uh, John ten seventeen, he says, Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. He was not forced to do this, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. Now, when we read Hebrews 2, 6, it shows how God chose to limit his power. But in a certain place testified, saying, this is Hebrews 2, 6, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Here is a case of limiting the power. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. Thou didst set him over the works of thy hands. This verse is revealed to be speaking about Jesus. And the, the, the point of it was that if he wasn't, if he hadn't made himself low enough, he could not have suffered death. If he had even come in the guise of an angel, he could not have felt and been tempted as a human being. He lowered himself, limited his own power. We see that Jesus walked everywhere. The only time the Bible records him riding was when he was fulfilling the scripture to go to the crucifixion. The Bible says he was hungry. This shows, again, he limited himself. In fact, one of the temptations, the very first one to turn the stone into bread, was really to try and get Jesus to cheat, to do something which is not normally uh, accessible to us. Because if he had one time using, used his powers to get out of trouble, then we could all say, well, see, we can't make it. But he was tempted in all points, yet without sin. Verse 8, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Again, Jesus was fulfilling the dominion, the original dominion as given to Adam. But right now we don't see it. We still don't see the kingdom yet. Only by faith. We don't see it in the physical, but it's coming. And then the revelation hits us in verse 9 because he's quoting here from Psalms 8. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower and he explains the reason why. Lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Again, God limited his omnipotency in in, 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 and put himself in a fleshly body to limit himself so that he could suffer death in the flesh. 
Of course, as God, God cannot die. But he had to come in the form of sinful man. The Bible said made like unto his brethren, made like unto his peers, so that he could partake of death for us, that we do not die. The Bible says now we are passed from death unto life. So now why did God do this? Well, it's a temporary choice. He temporarily gave up some of his omnipotence, uh, gave up some of his omniscience so that he could give us dominion to make the choice. God's temporary choice of rulership of the universe was given to Adam. Given to Adam. Let's look at it in more detail. He gave Adam power over everything on earth. That's in Genesis 1.28. That's omnipotence. He withdrew his foreknowledge to allow Adam to name the animals truly freely. That's in Genesis 1.19. He restricted his omnipresence in Genesis 11.5. That means he, he, he said he would come down to see. And, and that is the case now. We find in Hosea, the Bible speaks about return. I will return to my place. God can't return to his place unless he has localized himself. John 8, 36, we again see him not claiming rulership of this world yet. When he was before Pilate and Pilate was asking him, uh, they say you are a king. John eighteen thirty six. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now, and I've put in brackets meaning presently, is my kingdom not from hence. Jesus told his disciples, listen, I could call for 12 legions of angels if I wanted to. It only took one angel to kill uh, the Assyrian army of 180,000. Jesus said he could call 12 legions of angels if he wanted to. Of course, he didn't even really need angels. When they came to arrest him, as recorded in John, and they say, we're looking for Jesus, and he said, I am he, all 600 of them fell backwards. Jesus did not have to uh, call angels if he wanted to fight. But he lowered himself. He gave up of his power. The Bible says in Hebrews, so for the purpose of suffering death. He gave up so many things for the purpose, really, ultimately, of saving us. He gave up his power. He gave up so that we could make free choices. So does this mean that God's hand is tied and that he is no longer sovereign? No, not at all. It's just that he's allowing us to choose. His plans, his choices are always going to come to pass. Our choices may or may not, depending on who we choose. Joshua said, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Are you going to worship the gods that were on the other side of the river? And there really he's making a hint to the Egyptian gods, but he's also making a hint to the gods that were there on earth before the flood. Choose ye this day. We have the ability to freely choose. We will not be able to stand before God and say, the devil made me do it. Because God has gone through all of this trouble of limiting himself so that our choices, either for good or for evil, are our choices. That's why the Bible says you have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. No one will be able to blame God because he has done his part. He came and gave up uh, heaven so that we could have the opportunity to choose him. 
So that this, this doesn't mean that God has no choice. Otherwise, what would the meaning of prayer be? Psalms 139, verse 2. Here's David. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising, thou understanding my thought afar off. Yes, God can know your thoughts. Jesus demonstrated that when he was with the Pharisees. He demonstrated that wherever he was locally, he could know their thoughts. He would know their thoughts. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. Jesus himself said the very hairs of our head are numbered. For there's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. So here the scripture is showing of God's uh, potential for knowledge. That means if God chooses to know everything about you, he does know everything about you. He's not limited except by himself. It's his choice. Verse 7, whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy present? Meaning, there is nowhere you can hide from God if God wants to find you. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my head in in my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Now that doesn't mean literally God is in hell all the time. That, of course, would conflict with his very nature. The point David was trying to show by these, um, these allusions was that if God wants to find you, you cannot hide. Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Of course, there are, there are several different religions or Christian sects that believe that everything is pre- predetermined. And if that was so, then I, I've tried to represent what, what the past and future would look like. It would just be a straight line, and it would be fixed. You could always say it was because of where I was born, that's why I'm the way I am. Or because my mother did this, or because my father did this. And in Calvinism, they believe in a doctrine of what they call um, irrepressible um, grace, meaning those people who are going to be saved are going to be saved. God predetermines them. He chooses them. And those people who are going to be lost are going to be lost. But you know what's wrong with that doctrine is because it contradicts, as I said, the very constitution of God, the very attributes of his nature, which were what? God is perfectly just. God is perfectly loving. God cannot never create evil. He can only create perfection. The proof, of course, is that even Satan was created in perfection, but he too had the ability to choose. So this is not how... Uh, the future is. It's not a straight line. God, what God does know, he knows all of the possibilities. But he doesn't predetermine any of yours. He predetermines his own choices. God is not limited by his own choices. And whatever he chooses to do is going to happen. But you are also free to choose. And your choices are, are, are not going to stop God's plan. Because if this were true, there would be no choices. Everything would be predetermined and your future is already laid out. And unfortunately, this kind of doctrine uh, gives no hope. You're either going to be in the good choice or the bad choice. You can't change what happens. Of course, I don't believe that because it does not align, as I said, with the very nature of God. Because above all things, what does the scripture tell us? That God is love. God loved us so much he was willing to subtract his power his, his ability to know so that we could have free choice. Um, 
the, the general uh, thesis for that is called open theism. And it, it comes this way. Because God loves us and desires that we freely choose to reciprocate his love, he has made his knowledge of and plans for the future conditional upon our actions. If the future was fixed, then there would be no point in prayer. We see so many times in scripture where people prayed and God changed his mind. We see when he was about to destroy Israel, Moses prayed and interceded and God spared Israel. We see when Jonah went and preached at Nineveh and there was the greatest revival recorded in the Bible. Because at the preaching of, no, of Jonah, the whole city of Nineveh, these wicked, wicked people from the king down went on a fast and they changed God's mind. We see Hezekiah, who was, the prophecy came from God telling him, get ready Hezekiah, you're about to die. Hezekiah started to pray and before the prophet even left the grounds, God changed his mind. See, the future is not predetermined on our choices. The future is predetermined on God's choices. So we can pray, we can appeal to God, we can, we, can, we can come before him, we can humble ourselves. If my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves. I am so glad that our God is a God of love and that his nature is one of mercy. Yes, he's also a God of justice for those who ultimately reject truth. So in this little chart I've put up there, the, there are absolute things which are going to happen. And those are based upon God's own choices and his plans. Absolute prophecies are those in which God foretells what he is going to do. What he is planning to do. It's his choice. I am going to do this. That doesn't stop you choosing whether you love him or not. Then there are conditional prophecies that are dependent on our choices, which he says, if you will serve me, if you will follow me, then I will bless you. I'm not going to go through all of the different choices, but truly the future is more like this graph where it depends on what we choose. Now, God knows the outcome of whatever we choose. He knows all the probabilities, but he has not determined your choice. That's why he brought the animals to Adam to see what he would choose. So the true answer is this. Hebrews 2, 6, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all things in subjection under his feet, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet things put under him. What this is telling us is, yes, he is sovereign. Yes, he is going to reign. But in this period of time, in this church age, God has not yet taken up his power to reign. He is giving us the choice. There is going to come a time as stated in Revelation where it says let he who is uh, filthy or he who is unrighteous be unrighteous still and he who is righteous. There is going to be a cutoff. But right now we have the ability. We have the ability to choose. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor. That, by, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. This is an amazing verse because it's speaking of the man Christ Jesus. Let's read that again. 
to make the captain of their salvation, that means our salvation, perfect. His flesh was made perfect through sufferings. That sounds amazing, but that shows you how much he had lowered himself because if he had come as the, 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 the Spirit of God, there could be no more um, suffering, there could be no crucifixion, but he allowed himself to take on the form of man. He gave up that ivory throne, the, the glory of heaven, so that he could subject himself to come down and be born in a stable with animals on hay. That's to show you his love and the nature of God. Jesus said that he would that none perish. So God put himself on the same level as Adam, a son of God. That reveals the nature by his actions. Last week we did the nature of God by the things he hates. What we're seeing in this study is the nature of God as revealed in the actions, the things that he was willing to give up in order that we could love him, in order that we could come to know him, in order that we would realize what he has sacrificed. So God limited his perfect foreknowledge in the form of Jesus, the flesh. We see that very clearly when Jesus was asked about when the Father would, uh, the day of his coming, he says, no man knoweth not even the Son. He was saying that from a fleshly point of view, even that knowledge had been uh, reduced. And we see five times in Scripture where God changed his mind where he had limited himself so that he had the ability to respond to human choice. In Genesis 6, 6, it says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. What that means is that God must have limited his perfect foreknowledge of what man was going to do. People say, if he knew the tree man was going to sin, why did he put it in the garden? And of course, the answer is he knew the possibility but he did not predetermine it. It was not a certainty. Eve had the ability to choose. She could have said no. She could have asked Adam. Because the Bible tells us Adam was not deceived. But we see in Genesis 6 a, a time when God changed his mind. That scripture cannot make sense if God has retained perfect foreknowledge. Again, we see another scripture. And this is really an amazing scripture uh, when Israel went into great sin and they started to offer their babies to the god Molech by fire. Here's what the scripture says, and I'll let you just soak this in. This is God speaking in Jeremiah 19.5. They have built unto the, un, also the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. That's God speaking. That can only be real if God had limited his foreknowledge. What God did by doing that was gave the possibility of people choosing evil deeds. That's why when this dispensation ends, when this time ends, the wrath of God is going to be poured out without measure. Again, it's in Jeremiah in another scripture. Jeremiah 32, 35, And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through fire unto Molech, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination. Can you imagine 
how pained and angry God must have been. How much the wrath of God is going to be kindled up upon this earth. In Mark 13, 32, here's another instance where Jesus was showing how he had limited his fleshly knowledge. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son. In his fleshly form, he had limited his, his, his knowledge. Neither the Son. So Jesus knew everything that was possible for flesh to know. But that knowledge of that day and hour was not possible for flesh to know, showing how much he had limited himself. This is again revealing God's nature of how much he sacrificed so that he could give us the ability to choose him freely. In fact, that word that's in Genesis, in the beginning, God created. That word in Hebrew is called bara, but it has another meaning. It also means chose. The scripture could just as well be interpreted in the beginning God chose because it is used quite a bit in scripture for God's choices. When God chooses to do something, of course, his plans always come to fruition. But the future, unlike what some religions teach is not predetermined. It does not already exist. God brings those things he wishes to pass by him choosing. We can call it him creating, but either creation or choice. Genesis 41, 32. He gave Pharaoh a dream that there was going to be a time of famine and that there was going to be a time when the world would need to come to Egypt. And if Egypt was warned, then they could store grain. Here's what Genesis 41, 32 says. And for the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Meaning the future doesn't already exist. God brings it into being. Isaiah 46 verse 11 says the same thing. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. So the future is not predetermined. You don't have to go to hell. You can make a choice. You can change God's mind. That's what prayer is about when we pray, when we bring our supplications with thanksgiving. We're asking God to change something. Lots of time we're asking God to break one of his laws. That's what a miracle is. We're asking God to break a law when we pray sometimes. We're asking for a miracle. The doctor says there's no hope. According to to what we know of science, this person should die. And we pray and we're asking God to change a law. When we do that, the Bible, sometimes God will act upon our behalf. When we come to him with the right attitude, when we have humbled ourselves, Jesus went about healing and doing good. But the point I'm making is we have the opportunity through prayer and fasting to influence God. In the end, God had to lower himself some more, even lower, to come as a man. Ezekiel 22.30 tells us that. And I sought for a man among them that they should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. You see, the nature of God will always look to see if there is a way that he can save his children. Genesis 6.8, but Noah 
found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. See, when we get into a covenant relationship with God and we align with his attributes, then we can ask. When his word is aligned in our hearts, then we can ask. When you're walking with God in the Old Testament, it signified a covenant relationship. So why did he have to come as a man? And why did he do what he did? Well, the answer is he wants us to willingly give him back the dominion. He wants us to choose him so that he can act as our advocate, as our high priest. That's why when Jesus was in the garden and he prayed, and I've said so many times that this statement in my mind is the greatest thing anyone can ever say. Matthew 26, verse 39. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And here is the phrase that I think is the greatest thing that anyone can say, if you can say it and mean it. If you can say, nevertheless, no matter what you're going through, nevertheless, whatever the situation, nevertheless, when you're facing the cross, nevertheless, when you're in pain and suffering, nevertheless, when you've been hurt, if you can maintain your faith, if you can do like Job, if you can do like Jesus in the garden, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. You know what we're doing? We're giving our choice back to him. Remember what I said, his choice is, always come to pass. When we give that choice willingly to him, then we will in the end obtain dominion. John 5, 27, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. See, Adam's problem was he yielded up that dominion and Romans six sixteen explains it. Knowing not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, whether you have become a servant to addiction, maybe you've become a servant to uh, pornography, maybe you've become a servant to lying, maybe you've become a servant to gossip, maybe you've become a servant to, to, to a bad attitude. His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. What the scripture is showing us is the choice. That God through his nature has given us choice. No one will be able to say, the devil made me do it. Even Judas had a choice. Scripture says, woe uh, by whom um, offenses come. Yes, there was going to be someone that betrayed him, but remember they all said, is it I? Judas had many opportunities to change his direction. He did not have to be the one to fulfill the scripture, I believe, because God is a God of justice. We all have an opportunity to change directions. The proof of that is that thief on the cross. Only an hour or two from leaving this life, he made a choice. The other thief made a choice also. He mocked the king of kings. He mocked the only one who could have done anything at that point. But the thief, who we don't know his name, said, Lord, remember me 
when thou comest into thy kingdom. What a short prayer. That's all it took. All it took. Who knows what his life story was? Who knows where he was born? Maybe he was never rich. Maybe he was mistreated. Maybe he was abused. But at the moment that was critical, he made a choice. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You see, it's to whom you yield yourself servants to obey. His servant you are. At the last moment, he yielded to the one who was on the cross and became his servant. Bible says, or of obedience unto righteousness. In fact, that should be the main reason why we pray. In response to what God has done, we are, our response should be submit, submission. Matthew 6, verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Praise be your name. Exalted be your name. Glorified be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In other words, what was happening here was the dominion being returned. When you give God back the dominion to him, then you are enabling him to work on your behalf because that is his nature. He gave us the ability to choose so that we could choose him. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. See, this is what God's nature revealed leads us to. To give him back the choice. It's amazing that that thief on the cross at the last moment, remember me. I think it's nine words, when thou comest into thy kingdom. You know what that says? He believed. He acknowledged that Jesus was a king. And that's all it took before Pentecost to be saved. Faith in the King of kings and Lord of lords. So we're coming to a close of this Bible study on the nature of God in the actions he takes. Because God operates on the basis of his nature, which is love, truth, long-suffering, all of those fruit, the Bible says, are from the Spirit. Well, which Spirit is that? It's God's Spirit. That's his nature. And that's what he wants us to be. And we have the choice to go on to perfection. Paul says, it's not as if I have attained, but I press towards the mark of the high calling which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Wherever you are at this time, I ask you to join me in prayer that we will submit our will, our choices to the King of Kings. Father, we just thank you right now for your love and your greatness and all that you have done in our lives. Lord, we cannot see the future. Lord, but we choose you. Lord, we submit 
everything to you. We hold nothing back, Lord God. We want you to completely cover our lives, cover our families, cover our children, cover our circumstance, cover our work, cover our school, Lord God. We submit everything to you, Lord. We ask you, O God, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Lord, lead and direct our lives, O God. We give back every choice to you and we thank you right now for the victory in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.